All right, let's look now at John chapter 1. We are starting our Advent series. Uh, the, the food has barely uh, digested from Thursday, and here we go. We are in Advent um, on the first Sunday um, or the last Sunday of November. That's just how it works on the liturgical calendar. Um, so we don't make the rules. We just follow them. And I have been so excited about this series um, because uh, there, there's just nothing more relevant, nothing more beautiful than to see the God-man and to know Jesus, God himself, who came in the flesh for you and me. It just doesn't get old. And so the overall theme of our series is give yourself away or give your life away or give my life away. How did I say it? Give my life away. There we go. Um, And this is to be the very essence of the Christian life. Not a Jesus who serves me, but a Jesus who has served me in the gospel that I might serve. Uh, who empowers me for something radically different than what I would do and be outside of myself. And so let's look now at John chapter 1, very familiar passage, but so foundational uh, to understanding Jesus and understanding God and understanding what He demands of us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, we thank you that you were not just some far-off, unknowable being. But you have made yourself known in the face of Christ, in the person of Christ Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the very glory of the Father. To know you is to know the Father because as you said, I and my Father are one. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that indeed you have been sent to us, literally sent within us, that that the longing of our heart for fellowship and communion might be fulfilled in the person of Jesus who can be known. And we can be driven to you, O Father, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. (laughs) And it not be heresy. Oh, Father, that's what you want from us this morning. You want us to fall madly and deeply in love with you that our lives may never be the same. And so would you use your word to that end. Oh, God, I cannot do this. You must show up by your spirit. You must be the teacher. You know the deficiencies of my heart. You know the deficiencies of my life. You know the deficiencies of of my mouth as a communicator and my mind as a thinker. You know all of this, and so we need you, O God. We cry out to you, come, O come, Emmanuel, and speak to us this morning the very words of life. Oh, Jesus, may we see you, and may we fall at your feet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you saw it, but I certainly saw it this week that Zebo, and surely nobody in here, everybody in here knows who Zebo is, Zach Randolph, 
the, uh, the god of the grizzlies, if you will, the, the face of the grizzlies. He shows up at BTW High School with 400 baskets uh, of Thanksgiving food to hand out to the community. And there's just something about that story that endears us to him. If you didn't love him before, maybe hearing that story will make you love him now. You see, when someone up comes down, we're endeared to him. As we learn more of the story, uh, we found out that his mother, in hearing what he did for uh, the families in 38126, uh, his mother said, boy, they are blessed because when we received our Thanksgiving basket, when you were a little boy, we didn't get meat. <laughs> but you're giving them turkey. You see, Zebo hasn't forgotten. He lives up. He lives high. He doesn't have to come down. But he does. And that endears us to him. Dear friends, what we need to see as we go into Christmas is that Jesus left something. Jesus came from somewhere. And to the extent that we can understand and grasp what he left is to that extent that we can fall in love with him. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to see that Jesus came from somewhere. He sacrificed not just on the cross, but he sacrificed in even coming down to be among us and to take on our flesh. And when we see that, we see a Jesus that is worth loving. We see a Jesus that is worth giving our lives to. And yet, not only should we be endeared to him. You see, at Christmas time, we make it so intangible. Oh, let's just remember so we can feel good. And yet, Paul ruins that for us. In Philippians chapter 2, he ruins the whole sentimental approach to Christmas when he said, this attitude should be in you. The very attitude of Jesus Christ, you should have the mind of Christ, the one who gave himself for you. The one who was God but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he did what? Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Isn't that beautiful? You see, we are to have that mind. And so as we lift Jesus up and we see what he left to come down for us, our hearts are to be endeared to him. Why? So that we might have the same mind. Because the mind of Christ is living truth. If we have the mind of Christ, we have the life of Christ, and therefore we are living truly. And that's what the incarnation is meant to to do and be for us. It's to give us a tangible reality that, yes, draws us to the God of glory, but also sends us out saying, I want to be like that. Because that's reality. Because the very essence of our fallen nature is not to live down, but to, to, to steer every passion, every desire, every goal, every everything to living up. We want to be up here. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Life is down here. And so, friends, let's exalt Christ as he is exalted in this passage, that we might be endeared to him, that we might be like him. 
And the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus left perfect intimacy with the Father in spirit. What did he leave? Perfect intimacy. Perfect relationship. A perfect love relationship. Fozzie is the wife of the husband of a mission team that Derek and Lucy and I went to go visit in India. And a week and a half ago, Fozzie's brother, who lives, I think, in Miami, in Florida, uh, had a massive heart attack and died. And that hurt me so much because as I thought about that, I thought, I wonder when the last time was that she saw her brother. You see, she left to go. (laughs) She left the States to go to India and I'm telling you, it is a long way to go, and you don't just decide one day, oh, I think I'll, I'll go home tomorrow to see my brother. No. There's no telling when the last time she saw her brother was. And dear friends, she sacrificed something to go. She sacrificed intimacy with her brother. She sacrificed relationship with her brother to go. And what Jesus tells us in coming to us is that there is no way to go, there's no way to be obedient to him without sacrificing intimate relationship. Relationships have to be reshuffled in order for us to go. Where am I getting that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then we jump down to verse 14 and we see that the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. And so He is with God and then all of a sudden He is dwelling with us. Well, let's, let's isolate this whole idea of with God. Verse 18 puts some meat on the, the bones of that skeleton, if you will. And we read this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Now, this little phrase, who is at the Father's side, no one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Another way to interpret this Greek um, phrase is this: one, the one who is at the the bosom, who is, who, are, who literally is in the bosom of the Father. It's not really correct just to say that Jesus was at the side of the Father. It is correct to say he was in the bosom of the Father. And you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, think about this: who is close enough to you to pull into your bosom? <laughs> Not many people. We've yet to have a staff meeting where we're all cuddling each other and pulling each other into our bosom. I mean, that would be weird, right? Because there are only a few relationships where you can be pulled into someone's bosom, someone's breast. Why? Because that is the height of intimacy. And that's what we see here, is that the Father and the Son are in this intimate relationship and glory in which the Son is not just sitting at His side, but He is literally being drawn into His bosom. And what does that mean? Because we know that God doesn't actually have breasts. (laughs) He doesn't actually have pectorals. What God is saying is, we existed in the most intimate relationship. He was with God, and yet he left God. 
Now, what does that mean? Let me just tell you, I have no idea. (laughs) Because I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God, the Trinity, in any way broke up. It doesn't mean that Jesus stopped being God. He was completely God and completely man. It doesn't mean that that, that God the Father hated him. It doesn't mean that there was no communion because we, we see Jesus praying constantly and yet... You've got to wonder, is that why he was praying constantly? Because he knew what intimacy was. And he longed for it again. But in some way, we have to say that he left it. How do we know? Because on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment... Jesus was not in the bosom of the Father, but he was as far away from the bosom of the Father as one can possibly be. He was suffering the very essence of hell itself, which is separation from the love and goodness and intimacy of God in relationship. Jesus left what we all want. Intimacy. Being accepted, having someone look at us and saying, I know you and I love you and no one can drive you away from me. That's what we all long for. Loneliness is the very essence of the curse. And yet that's how what we struggle with. That's the wound in all of our hearts. We are literally a banished people. Go back to Genesis 3 and you see that God banished them and put, put this flaming sword in front of communion with God where we couldn't get back, we want to get back, and all of our lives we're trying to get back to the garden, we're trying to get that intimacy again, and yet we can't, we're always falling short. And it's why that when we look at Facebook and we see how happy everybody's families are, (laughs) it makes us lonely. When we see, oh, oh, look at this perfect family at Thanksgiving and I'm all alone and it just heightens our loneliness. I was watching a bit of Grey's Anatomy a few months ago, and there's a new character, a new girl on the show, and, and she's single, and she goes on this rant one night. She says, I'm so sick of being alone. I'm sick and tired of walking into my one-bedroom apartment and putting my frozen dinner in the microwave and eating by myself. She said, I'm, I'm so desperate, I'm even thinking about getting a cat. Which made me laugh. <laughs> you know you're desperate. No, I'm not, I'm not going to go into this. I'm about to, the, the sacred cow in the room. You're a cat person or you're not. All right. I got a birthday card this week. Uh, a little late, but hey, it's a birthday card this week that said they're cat people and then they're idiots. All right, there you go. Well, I guess I'm an idiot. I'm not much of a cat person, but... The woman's point was clear. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. And I'm dying. (laughs) Those that don't need others have just hardened their hearts to the possibility of ever having that kind of love. Because we were made for intimate relationship. Heaven is community and relationship. Heaven is the Thanksgiving table with people that you really love. And to know more about them and for them to know more about you is to be more endeared to each other. Community. That's what heaven is all about. And these are the longings of our heart. 
And yet Jesus tells us, what's the very most basic thing that Jesus tells us, the most basic command to us as believers is go. And so how do we go when our hearts are longing to stay? How do we go, especially if we are in a community that we don't want to leave? Just wait. But right now, can you see that Jesus had that community and he left it for you? Isn't that beautiful? He left it for you because you were worth it. Because God so loves the world. That's why he came for you. He loves you enough to leave that. But then secondly, Jesus didn't just leave an intimate community. He left an infinitely creative team. Interesting. An infinitely infinitely creative team for a highly dysfunctional one. Who does that? I mean, think about teams. Man, it's what we all want. It's why people, uh, when they, they go in the military, they, they, can't, they have a hard time adjusting back to normal life. Why? Because they were on a team, working for a mission, toward a mission, with people that they liked, people that they knew had their back. Rachel and I were at the Houston Rocket Grizz game a few weeks ago, and it was just one of those rare moments when everything was working for the Grizz. I mean, even our third string was getting in and contributing to the game. It was unbelievable. We were ahead of the Rockets by 30 points, and we barely ever sunk down. And isn't it a thing of beauty? You could just see that, that they were having fun. They were having a great time because they were working as a team, and it was all working. Planning this church has been one of the joys of my life because I'm on such a great team. Because we're working together and we're seeing progress. And it's so fulfilling. We were made to be part of tackling the issues of the world. And it goes deep into who God made us to be. Listen to Genesis 1, verses 28 and 29. Be fruitful. Right after Adam and Eve were created, God came to Adam and Eve and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, dear friends, we were made, we were created not just to work, but to work as a team. Adam existed by himself, and God said, the only thing he said it is not good about was Adam being alone. So he said, I will make a helper suitable for you. And this team was created, the most intimate team, a team that could literally, the two could become one, they could go to bed together. And yet, what does God do? The first command is what? Here's your job description. Isn't that beautiful? Now go to work together. It's you against the world. Now go bring order out of chaos. Now that sounds awfully familiar. Verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What we see is God the Father and God the Son partnering to bring about creation. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. This is beautiful. I don't know that I've ever seen this or put these two together before this week. But theologians agree that this is a picture of Jesus and the Father before creation. Listen to these verses in light of that. Verse 22 through 31. The Lord possessed me. This is Jesus speaking. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old, 
Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the uh, first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was, listen, then I was beside him like a master workman. Get that picture. Do you, want to know what, do you want to know why purpose and meaning and, and having a job or having a task or having a, a life mission that, that, that amounts to something that's so important? Because it's at the very essence of who God is. It's not that God, it, it's not that God just, you know, got bored and chose to create the world and man and men and the universe. No. It was because being workmen, Working together, this creative team, a creative team can only do one thing, and that is create. If they're not creating, then they're drying up. And so this this master craftsman, Jesus Christ, is sitting with the Father. They're at the planning table. Man, they're dreaming, what if, what if, what if? Oh, I know we can make it better. What if, what if? And then, boom, God thunders from the heavens. And all that is comes into to formation, comes into form. Isn't that amazingly beautiful? Jesus left that team to come to you and me. <laughs> you don't leave jobs like that, folks. It, it doesn't get any more fulfilling than that. And yet it was part of the plan. And it was part of the job description. What if... What if? And so Jesus comes down, and he works with Peter. He got so frustrated with Peter. Peter was running so against the the plans of God. He was so exhibiting his own mastermind, thinking, oh, I'm smarter than God. Jesus had to look at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Have you ever had to do that to a co-worker? That's what Jesus did. He said, you don't get it. Just get away. Just get out of my... I can't look at you right now. It was humiliation, dear friends, to put himself under the law. Because he is the essence of righteousness. He didn't have to prove himself. But he humbled himself to that. It was utter humiliation to go to the desert and fast for 40 days and 40 nights and be confronted with the essence of evil, the devil himself. The devil has no right to be in the presence of God. He's been banished, and yet Jesus said, I will allow it for you. It was utter humiliation to be drugged into a courtroom on false charges, the Holy One of Israel, the Righteous One of the universe, to be brought in and to sit under false allegations and to be unjustly accused and condemned for crimes he did not commit. But he did it for you and he did it for me. He came that low. And then he literally was beat. And he drug his own cross. And he was nailed to a cross. And he was humiliated. He was naked before men. 
And they were spitting at him. Why? For you. Because to say, that's how far low I'm willing to go for you. Oh, dear friends. That should just turn our whole worldview on its end and say, if my God could do that, if my Jesus could do that for me, then is there anything too low for me? Do you see now how that is giving giving your life away, leveraging what you have for the good of someone else, not just for you to hoard and enjoy, is the essence of truth in life, and anything outside of that is untruth. Do you want to know why you're, you're miserable? Do you want to know? It's because you're not giving yourself away. Or maybe you're giving yourself away for the wrong reasons. We're going to get to that in a minute. Living down is leveraging your power and influences and resources and knowledge to serve others. I was with a member of our church recently, and she's mentoring a young girl in our church. And I found out that she has been teaching her how to drive. This girl is a professional at FedEx. She's an executive at FedEx. And she's taken her time to get with a teenage girl in our church and to teach her how to drive. Why? Because Jesus came down for her. Kelsey Martin is absolutely consumed with the women in Sierra Leone. Her heart is being destroyed as no one else is paying attention to Sierra Leone. All the resources are going to Liberia. Why? Because Jesus came down for her and she's saying, Why, church? How can we just sit here? Do you see it? When you understand that Jesus came down for for you, when you understand that He left intimate relationship, the perfect family, everything that you long for, when He left the perfect creative team for you, then all of a sudden your paradigm starts shifting. You've You've got to live differently. And I want to ask you this question. Has that... Has has the fact that Jesus came down messed with your life purpose yet? Because if if it hasn't, then you have not come in contact with the real Jesus. And then we say, how can we do it? Lastly, we've got to see that Jesus is life and light. That's what we see here. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. Man, we're all looking for life. I was reminded of that this week. We went to see the Mockingjay. Some of you intellectuals, well, I don't read that Hunger Games thing. Well, I did, and I like it, okay? It's intellectual candy, I know. But it's fun to watch, and it's a great story, all right? And so we went to see the Mockingjay, and I watched... uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman for over an hour, no, two hours. can't remember how long the movie was. And brilliant actor. And then at the end, we watched some of the credits, and the very first one, it said, In Memory of Philip Seymour Hoffman. And I've totally forgotten that he committed suicide right after filming that movie. And as I thought about that in light of this, that in him was life, and that life was the light of man, I said, you know what? What John is saying is is absolutely pivotal. What John is proposing here is that there is life, but you can't even really find it in an intimate relationship with family, even with a spouse. And you can't even really find it in creative work. So if you can't find it in 
work or family, then where can you find it? In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that is radical today, and it was radical in John's day, because John was speaking those words into a specific culture that believed the very same things that we do. You see, he said, the word, in the beginning was the word. The Greek for word is logos. And what that means is, is, is the essence of everything. The Greeks, everybody was debating, where does real life come from? Where is real meaning and significance? What does all this stuff mean? Why do I get up in the morning? Why do I go to bed at night? Why do I work? Why do I go to school? Why, 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 why? Logos, meaning. And you remember Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Dear friends, there's nothing new under the sun. There were two primary schools of thought. There were the Epicureans and the Stoics. The Epicureans said, I'll tell you where meaning in life is found. You're not going to find it in ultimate truth because that doesn't exist. So you're going to find it at the party. Just have fun. Just find out what makes you happy. Does that sound familiar? It's not new. The Epicureans were saying that in 300 B.C., 300 years before Jesus was born. But then you had the Stoics who said, you're right, Epicureans, truth can't be found. Nobody can really know what truth is, but guess what? The, 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 the uh, real meaning in life then is found in being good and a noble citizen and living upright. And so you got the religious people and you got the party people. And in those two, you have Memphis. And you have every city on the planet. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and so, dear friends, what, what John was saying was, John was the spoiler at the social event. He was the spoiler at the party. Because he was willing to say, there is ultimate truth. So if you think, that happiness and joy is found in the party and having fun? No, you've got to submit yourself. If you think that it's just having control of a moral life and having a good work ethic and, and living a responsible life, no, you've got to come live under this one authority. And see, we don't, we can't do that at the dinner party, right? If we're at the dinner party and the Republicans and Democrats and liberals and conservatives and there's some religious people and non-religious people and we're the one Christian How many times did we just stand up? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, you don't talk about those things. Why? Because even the Stoics and the Epicureans agree that there is no ultimate truth. And yet they're living the lie. Because what John is saying is, there is ultimate truth, and ultimate truth is not a philosophy, it's a person. Ultimate truth is a person. Ultimate truth is coming and living under the God who made himself man. It's beginning to interpret life in accordance with everything that he said and everything that he's done. It's beginning to take everything and to measure it against him. It's beginning to be faithful to the God of heaven and earth. You see, the problem with Epicureans and Stoics is that it doesn't work. Religion leads you to a life of emptiness, ultimately, and so does pleasure. It leads to the same thing. There's no meaning. 
but Jesus. And here's what we see in Jesus. When John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men, what he was saying is this. Here is the way to direct your life to God so that you can literally live the life of God on earth and be filled with Him in eternity. Jesus left so that we can let go so that we can have eternity. Jesus left, and the way that He could love us, the way that He could be on a dysfunctional team and leave the intimacy of the Father is to still be connected to the Father through prayer. Jesus is looking back to what he left, knowing that he's going to go back. For us, we're looking forward to what God promises, and that basically is intimacy and purpose and glory forever. So how can we let go of our lives, say yes to Jesus, and be so filled with his love and the fact that he came for you, that you can be convinced that you're going to be filled eternally with that love and it will never be in question when you go to glory. Do you see it? Jesus was, 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 came down out of the overflow of God and we look up to heaven out of the overflow of Jesus to let go of this world and live the life that he is calling us to live. What is Jesus calling you to do? Seriously, what is Jesus calling you to do? What is it where Jesus moves in on your life and you feel as if you start to get nervous and you start to get anxious? No, that can't be what God is telling me to do. He can't be telling me to quit my job. He can't be telling me to get that job. He can't be telling me to leave my girlfriend, boyfriend. He can't be telling me to leave Memphis. He can't be telling me to go deeper and to live somewhere else. He can't be... What is it that God is nudging you to do and you feel your flesh saying, No, I can't do it. What are you seeking control over? What are you seeking to hold on to? What is it? Do you see, in Jesus is life. Quit trying to find life in your control of your life. There is only a facade of control. It's a lie. You have no control. So give yourself to the one who does. His name is Jesus. And he came to give himself for you. Come to him this morning and say, Jesus, take me the sinner. I I believe the words that have been read this morning. And I believe, Lord Jesus... That you came for me, you died for me, you're coming back for me, so here I am. I am tired of trying to control my life. I'm tired of living this safe, controlled thing. And I'm willing to give myself to you. I'm willing to give myself away. So fill me up with your love. If you have never done that before, would you do it this morning? If you've done that a million times, but you know you need to do it again this morning, then give yourself away to Jesus. It's every day. It's all day. Be convinced of His love. That you might begin to live out of the overflow of His love in this life. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank You for the beauty of the cross, which is the very epitome of giving Yourself away for us. But thank You, Lord Jesus, that You knew in coming that You were going to the cross.
thank you that you came and you lived under the law and you became nothing that we might become everything to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave up the riches of glory that we might obtain the riches of glory. Thank you that you became poor that we might become rich. Oh God, I pray that we would let go of the false substitutes of wealth and riches of this life, that we might grab onto you the true treasure, the one true pearl. (laughs) Oh God, when we give our hearts to you this morning and begin to have the emotional, spiritual capital to live low, to not need encouragement, to not need the stuff of the world, because we have you, the one true treasure. Help us to live in that direction, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May we respond to the grace of Jesus Christ who came down for us by giving back to Him, not just what He commanded, but even more, trusting that He's a Father that's going to provide for our daily needs. He's a Father that's going to give. And you can also put your gifts of no more than $10 in the basket uh, to help someone else's Christmas and the family during this time. Amen.